Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's guest is Coot Blackson. He is a transformational teacher and best-selling author. He gets into how to manifest from the soul and the dangers of manifesting from your ego, as well as our shared experience of losing our mothers at a fairly young age. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much. Please leave a review if you have the time. Thank you. Coot, I want to start with a quote of yours that really struck me. Life doesn't always give you what you want, but it gives you what you most need in order to become who you are meant to be. What were some of those moments that made you and who you are meant to be now? Wow. How long do we have? We have 17 days. We have two months, <laughs> two years. <laughs> uh, what were some of those moments? There were many moments, man. Um, there were so many moments. I've been through many dark moments. I've been homeless. I've been broke. I've been betrayed. I've been heartbroken. Um, I've been madly in love and shattered. And so in many of those moments, uh, we're often not able to see why something is happening or make sense of why things are happening in those moments. But I really have learned that with a bit of space and with a bit of time and with a bit of humility, with a bit of understanding, often in retrospect, looking back, you are able to understand why something needed to happen the way it happened. And so um, sometimes things not working out or go according, going according to plan is really grace, is the love of the universe, the love of the divine. And, you know, we're taught to thank, to live in gratitude, be in gratitude for the things that you have. I think through things not working out and going according to plan and not getting certain things I thought I wanted, I have learned to thank God for the prayers that weren't answered. And I look back at certain relationships. I mean, this is an obvious one for many of us. You know, we fall in love. We get into a relationship. We're like, I met the one. You know, this is the one. And you see your life with them. And you're so in love with them. And then it doesn't work out. And you're devastated. And you're on the floor. Like, why? And maybe then looking back five years later, you think, thank God that didn't work out. Like, thank, 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 like, thank God that didn't happen. And so, um, yeah, you know, sometimes... We achieve what we think we want, only to realize that what we want is not what we really wanted. It's just what we thought we wanted based on who we thought we were. And many times our goals are um, projections of unmet needs from childhood. Like I didn't feel enough, didn't feel worthy, I was bullied, dad wasn't around, didn't feel lovable. So I think if I can just be famous and get the car, get the house, get the Lamborghini, get the this, get the that, then that's going to make me enough. But the truth is nothing outside of you makes you feel enough if you don't feel enough inside. And so um, I think I've learned through the process of life that there's a few reasons why things sometimes don't work out. And when we're wrapped up in our egos, so identified with our egos, the ego is that perceived sense of what we believe ourselves to be. We're not able to see the whole picture of how life connects and how this painful experience connects and how it's a piece of the puzzle of our life. Um, but what I found through those painful experiences and things not happening is there's usually a few reasons why things don't happen or things don't manifest. And number one, that what you thought you wanted or the dream that you thought you really wanted is not really in alignment with your soul's highest journey. It's just what you thought you wanted, you know, and we're not able to see what's true. And so that what we tend to do when things don't go according to plan is we try to force it and 
make something into something that it's not, but making something into something that is not doesn't make it so only creates stress and anxiety and frustration and blocks the flow of life. And so I think what we have to learn to do is step back and, and, and question and reevaluate, like, who am I and what's true? Am I pursuing this goal just because my parents said? Am I pursuing this goal just because I saw a bunch of people on social media pursuing this goal? Is this really true for me? Is this really what I want? Uh, sometimes things don't work out, go according to plan, because it's just not time yet, you know? Everything has a season and everything. Uh, there's summer and there's autumn and there's winter and there's spring. But going to Alaska, going to parts of Canada in December with your swim trunks wanting to swim, it's impossible, you know, mm-hmm. going to a mango, going to a mango tree uh, when it's not mango season and just, I want to eat my mango. You can eat the mango that is green, but it won't taste good if it's not ripe. And many of us, we are forcing life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be. And I think we have to learn that life, there's a flow of nature and there is a flow of seasons. And there's a time to act, there's a time to be still. There's a time to be still and there's a time to act. And so I think part of life is learning how to, to get into sync with the rhythm and the flow. And trust divine timing, you know. I always say God's time is not always your time. And the ego wants what it wants now. But if we're really willing to trust timing, things have a way of falling into place when we're in sync with life. This life that has been around for billions of years. And so... I think in that second instance, we have to learn to trust divine timing, trust nature, trust the flow, and be patient and cultivate the patience and work on ourselves. Third reason why I think sometimes we get frustrated when things don't work out, but as a third reason is, is we haven't learned the lessons where we are, where we are with who we're with. And this is something I learned, you know, things not working was, oh, you have to, when you acknowledge that you are a soul, I'm a soul, we are souls, we incarnate into the human experience in order to learn to grow, to evolve. That for me, life is kind of like a school, a university for your soul's evolution. Uh, everything is your curriculum. Everybody is your teacher. Everyone is your professor. That person that broke your heart, that dream that didn't happen, that person that betrayed you, your mom, your dad, your spouse, your enemy, you know, that person that challenges you, all of it, they're, they're just part of your teachers in this classroom. And if you see yourself as a soul, and understand that all of this is a learning experience, opportunity, then it shifts your relationship to life, even those challenging moments, even those moments where things don't work out, where ultimately we incarnate in order to evolve. The purpose of life is ultimately at the deepest level, our evolution and the degree to which we learn the lessons and the degree to which we realize our most authentic nature as you could say divine beings. And so when we understand that, when a difficult, when we're faced with difficult moments, things not going according, things not working out, we can, again, try to force it. But all lessons are repeated until learned, which is why we keep recycling and cycling and attracting the same dynamics. And so I think what I learned to do through many painful moments is to step back, to pray, to meditate, to be still, to learn, to journal, and to ask myself the questions. Why did I attract this situation? What is my soul seeking to learn? What is the lesson that I'm resisting learning? Because I think when we can learn the lesson where we are with who we're with, 
that's the key that unlocks the lock to the next level of manifestation and experience and relationship. And that's what enables, to, enables us to graduate certain dynamics and cycles in our life. And so, yeah, that, that's, I've been through many things, you know. Um, when I first came to the U.S., I was born in Ghana. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. And I can share a bit about my backstory if you want. But, you know, I remember when I came to the U.S., I wanted to go into the self-help field. But after I got here, I wanted to be the next Oprah. And uh, this is when I was like 20 years old. And um, I was hell-bent on being the next Oprah. I was going to be like talk show and, you know... um, and I tried everything, man. I tried. I, I knocked on doors. I I tracked down Steven Spielberg, Richard Branson. I tracked down heads of CAA, William Morris. I mean, long story short, it didn't happen. I was devastated. You know, I was I was I had some offers, but I was devastated because it didn't happen in the end. And that's what drove me to a deeper spiritual journey. It, it drove me to walk the Camino in Northern Spain at a young age, 900 kilometers, meditating and praying. It drove me to go to Israel to study with rabbis, it drove me to Thailand, study with monks, drove me to India where I spent four months meditating and praying and I just surrendered myself to life. And certain things happened for me there that took me so deep to give me a deeper understanding of the nature of who I am and the nature of life and the purpose of my life. That changed my life. And now I look back and go, wow, I'm so glad my dream didn't happen. Because if it did, I don't know if I would have gone at a young age so deeply into my spiritual journey, so deeply into my healing journey. Because it was the healing journey that I went on that really developed me to set me up and give me the foundation for the work I've been doing over the last 18, 19 years. So anyway, I'll stop there. How can we figure out if we're manifesting from the ego versus the soul? What can we do in our bodies and minds to recognize in our, in our consciousness if we're desiring things from a place of lack or wounding or if it's something that our soul's destined to do? Yeah, I think that there's a few things. I think sometimes it's a feeling where you're you know, sometimes desperation, seeking something or this illusion that you are chasing something in order because you think that something is going to make you happy. And you think, well, when I get that house, when I get that Lamborghini, when I get that fill in the blank, then I'm going to be happy. And that is going to give me something that I don't currently have or that I am not currently. It, and we make the thing and the object the source of our happiness. Whether we're conscious or not, we make the object I'm going to be happy when I win the Oscar. I'm going to be happy when I have a million Instagram followers. I'm going to be happy when I get that kind of body. And so when we're coming from that object-focused drive, you can pretty much be sure that you're an ego, you know, and you're coming from ego, seeking and making the object the source of your happiness. And, 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 and that only tends to create suffering because all experiences are temporary. You know, the most blissful orgasm, you know, in that moment of ejaculation lasts how many seconds? 
until they're like, ah, and now you have to chase it again. And, uh, and now you, and, and so we're constantly on this hamster wheel of chasing, chasing, seeking, chasing, thinking that thing out there that is temporary, impermanent and transitory is the source of your happiness. And it's a never ending game of the ego attaching a sense of validation, worth, fulfillment outside of itself. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's the code right there. It's the spiritual code. The kingdom of heaven is within you. It's not like the kingdom of heaven is in a mansion. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a mansion, you know. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is in a Ferrari. No, I, I, I love cars. Nothing wrong with it. But that's not the source of your happiness. So, so I'll break it down this way. We mistakenly believe that objects are the source of our happiness. And so now we seek objects. We spend our life seeking and chasing objects. Then when we attain the objects, sometimes we're happy for a moment and then it, 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 it dissipates and we have to keep seeking because we think it's the object that's the source of our happiness. But here's the thing. When we're wrapped up in ego, ego is reinforced through activity, doingness, activity. And so, from the ego, we now seek an object, the car, the house, the thing. We attain the thing, and we feel happy. Ah. And now we think, ah, it's because of the thing that made me happy. But here's the thing. It's not the thing that made you happy. It's a mistake. It's an illusion. What actually happened was when you were seeking, then you attained the thing, there was a moment of relaxation. So what happened was you stopped seeking, right? There was a cessation of activity, a cessation of seeking and chasing, and so you relaxed. When you relaxed, you rested back into, for a moment, your true nature. You rested back into, I'm not chasing that car anymore. Ah, I'm happy. And so you rested back into the true nature, which was happiness, the source of happiness, which is within you. And so it's not the thing that made you happy. It was the cessation of seeking and relaxing back into the nature of your being, which is really bliss and happiness and peace. You actually got in touch with what was always there in the first place. And, but we mistakenly identify the thing outside. And so that's often how you know you're coming from ego because you think that attaining that thing is going to make you happy and it's the source of your happiness and it's not. And that's what sets up a never-ending game of a constant chase. And, you know, this is why I work with billionaire guys as my clients who often come to me and they're like, cool, I have $30 billion. I have $20 billion. I have $4 billion. I, 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 I'm not happy. And, and, you know, sometimes when you attain all the things you thought were going to make you happy and you're still not happy, it's worse <laughs> because now there's no reason. When you're chasing it, you have this illusion that you're going to be happy. And so there's this illusion. And, and so I think we have to shift the, the sort of subject, object sense of seeking. You know, and, and so that's, that's the first thing, realizing 
Nothing outside is the source of your happiness. Happiness is your true nature. And then come from there. So you're not seeking to add something to yourself from the goal. If anything, you're, 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 the pursuit of the goal is an opportunity for you to express, like, how can I express myself? How can I express my heart? How can I express an enhanced life? How can I express my creativity in the process of this endeavor? So you're not seeking something anymore. You're seeking to add and contribute and give something. It's different. It's not about getting. It's about giving. And that's the difference. So you can say, I want to make an impact, but it's not about getting. It's about contribution. So the old paradigm we'll call it the ego-based model of living and creating and manifesting, is more about, we ask this question. You see this in all the books. you got to know what you want. Get clear on what you want. you got to get clear on what you want in order to manifest what you want. you got to get clear on it. you got to know it. you gotta, you got to know. I say, no, you don't have to know what you want to get exactly what you truly need because sometimes what you think you want is not what you need. Because goals can be projections of unmet needs from childhood. You think you need that thing to be happy. So sometimes what we think we want is not what we really, really, really need for our soul's evolution. Like the soulmate that you think you want may not be the one that is right for you and the one that you need. It's just who you think you should be with based on society's programming or childhood conditioning. And so the ego-based model of manifesting and living always says, Get clear on what you want. Look, I'm not saying it doesn't help to have some clarity, right? It's cool. Just all I'm saying is don't get attached to it's got to be this way and it's got to be this person and it's got to be this career and it's got to be this thing. You look at Gandhi. Gandhi started out as a lawyer, a successful lawyer. But if he was so attached to I have to be the successful lawyer, he would never have surrendered and let go to the deeper impulse, the deeper impulse of what life was seeking to manifest and express through him, which was a vision and a mission to impact humanity on a whole bigger level than he could have even imagined for his mind. So he had to let go of what he thought he wanted so that what life was seeking to express could emerge. And so the old paradigm, what do I want? But we don't ask the question, who is the I? And so when we're creating from a, a limit, so when we're conditioned in, in, in believing that we are this limited sense of I, which is conditioned based on past programming, pain, hurts, traumas, childhood, we're not even going to see clearly. <laughs> because what we think we want is just this little conditioned thing. So how are we going to even see what our true goal is clearly. We're going to see through the lens of trauma and hurt and limitation and conditioning and masks and roles and personas. So that means our goals are going to be based on limited perspective. So the question I invite, so we have to go through a healing process, a transformational process, a purification process, a therapeutic process to do the mental emotional work to clear the layers and patternings of conditioning so that we can get in touch with our deeper truth. And that's really the spiritual path. And so as we do the inner work to heal, then we connect more with our soul and our essence, and then we have more clarity. And I feel that clarity for me, the question then becomes, not what do I want? The question becomes, what is it that life, what is it that the universe, what is it that the divine, what is it that God, what is it, what is it, what is it that my soul 
is seeking to authentically express and manifest. What is the deepest, truest impulse that is seeking to manifest through me? And I think part of it is an opportunity to feel what that is, an opportunity to catch that vision, an opportunity to become still and attune ourselves to that deeper authentic impulse through meditation, through listening, through journaling, through walking in nature, to really listening to what is seeking to emerge, not from my mind or my past or logic, but from the depth of my being. Then we can align our personalities and our ego and our mind and our marketing in support of the fulfillment of the authentic impulse. And so ego isn't bad. Ego just has a place. And ego is really the vehicle that consciousness uses to live and navigate through life and interface with this, this, this three-dimensional experience. So when we understand the right relationship, then ego, as it gets refined, becomes a servant to the soul. And then ego becomes a vehicle that can now execute and fulfill the authentic impulse of the soul. Then we can work in harmony. Mm-hmm. What, what motivates you instead of, because most people use that thought pattern to go about their life, right? They see the Lamborghini, they see the potential attractive person, they, they see the money and that brings them to work, that brings them to feel alive. It's like, it's like a thought pattern that gets them out of bed. What gets you out of bed? What's a healthy motivation system that makes you get up every day and do what you do? How do you shift the materialistic me, me desires? Me or, 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 or anybody? Just you, general. you, you first, and then maybe uh, generalize it to other people. <laughs> what, what, what gets you going? Like what, what motivates you nowadays? Um, what I will say is the more I have healed, the more we heal, right? And do the work to heal our wounds to heal the I'm unworthy and I'm not enough and I'm unlovable. Because when we feel unworthy, unlovable and all these things, right, then we're so locked in ego and that is what tends to motivate us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that, that pain is what tends to drive us to get out of the pain, to prove ourselves as worthy to my dad, to my mom, to those bullies, to, to my fraternity, to society, and, and, and now we're motivated from lack and pain and hurt and wound to prove that we're valuable and worthy and enough. And that is a very limited motivation that is egocentric, which most of us start with and many of us stay uh, stay driven by our entire lives. But it doesn't bring freedom. It doesn't bring peace inside, always looking over... You know, the neighbors and who has more and checking out social media. Oh, that person is doing this. I got to do that because now we're still in competition, trying to prove ourselves to be enough against you and you and you and you and you and everyone around. It's no peace. You know, you feel great. Then you, you, you go on social media, you see someone else that is also now has a nicer car or it has more followers and that uh, now you feel terrible. And so I think we have to be willing to do the inner work to do the inner healing to learn how to love those parts of ourselves that are hurting, to love those, to bring healing and loving to those wounds, those parts that feel not enough, that the inner child, so that we can clear the pain and the hurt and the shame and the guilt and the resentments and the wounding that we carry inside. We all carry inside as children, being young and parents and life. And so I think if we can do that work through therapy and work and spiritual path and meditation, 
have a foundation. And as we, now we start to heal, then we can start connecting. Then we start becoming less driven from ego. Ego is that ego is what creates separation because the more I'm locked into my ego, which is a collection of patterns that I identify with, the ego is a protective mechanism and a reaction from childhood often in many ways. And the more we're locked into ego, the more I feel separate from you. The more I feel separate from myself, the more I feel separate from you, the more I feel separate from God. So now we're driven from competition and proving. And so there's no peace in that. So the healing, doing the work to do the healing, that's kind of the foundation. And I think from that place, what starts opening up is the, as you resolve your pain, dissolve your pain, heal your pain, what starts, there's less of a need to prove yourself. There's less of a need to have that car to validate your worth of feeling unworthy, right? There's less of a need to be with that person in relationship to prove that you're valuable even though they're the wrong person, right? And so when we're in pain, we can't see clearly. So we're, oh, I'm gonna be with this person because they make me feel worthy even though they're the wrong person. And so when we're no longer driven by that, we can connect to our souls more. And what I think starts driving us is less pain and more love. And it's love. And so people are often afraid of, you know, sometimes people, especially, and you see in the personal growth world, like hustle, crush it, you know, boom, bam, and Lambos and Ferraris and on social media is like this and that. It's great. Um, but it won't necessarily bring you peace inside. Nothing wrong with it, but it won't bring you ultimate happiness inside if you don't feel enough inside. And so what starts emerging, I would say, is, let me clarify, there's sometimes a fear of, oh, shit, if I heal, then what's going to drive me? If what's driving me and motivating me is mm-hmm. to prove myself, what the hell is going to drive me if I don't feel the need to prove myself? Will I just sit there and do nothing? And I have found for myself, no. What, what starts as you clear the inner blockages, what starts opening is there's more space inside of you for you to be used by life. Mm-hmm for life to use you because the pure light of life, the pure light of the divine, the pure light and energy of life itself, there's, there's less static inside of you and more space for life to express through you and use you. And there's less of you in the way so more of life can express through. And, and, and that can express as a force of love rather than ego and pain. And you look at people like, Jesus and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and Mandela. It's like, they were pretty damn motivated. You know, they didn't sit around and do nothing and they moved the world. But it was not so much about themselves anymore as a me, ego, self to prove myself. It's more about contribution and being used by life and surrendering to life. And I would say at a point, all of these great folks, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, they, they, they surrendered themselves to life. And in that surrender, life began, they transcended their human limitations and personal power, and life began to use them. And so 
I think you'll begin to feel life using you and, and the force of love, you know, because now when you're no longer wrapped up in ego, you start feeling less separate from others. You start feeling less separate from others. The sense of love awakens more because love is the recognition of the inherent oneness of our nature. And, and as I start feeling more one with you and one with all, then love a feeling of love, a sense of love emerges more. And that sense of love is what starts, love starts moving you to be of service. You know, love starts moving you to do your, you can do your podcast out of, I want to be, I want to beat Joe Rogan. You know, I want to be the the top guy. That's one way, but there's always going to be someone else. And so when you're motivated by that, that's one thing. But when you're motivated by, I feel people suffering and they're my brothers and sisters and we're one. And I, I want to share inspiration to inspire them. And it comes from a different place. You may still be just as motivated, if not more. You may work harder, if not more. But it's coming from a different place. One is from getting and one is from contribution and giving. And the force of love, which is the nature of your being, is what emerges is what expresses, is what moves through you. And you do your podcast for love, from love. That doesn't mean you can't put marketing and have, you know, top podcasts. But the drive is for love, not just for so I can prop up my unworthiness to feel good about myself. Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information. And in this break... If you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I resonate with so much that's so much invalidating what you're, you're saying. I used to use beating my dad as motivation. Yeah, yes, I want yes. I want to beat dad. I didn't know, but unconsciously it was that way, and it gave me so much juice. There's so much trauma and shadow and energy stuck in me to do that. And I told my guru once I was like, I was healing. I was like, I'm worried that I'm no longer going to be motivated and, and be able to do these things. And he said, Don't worry. Lo- the more you become your authentic self and heal yourself and, and tune to who you really are, the more you get into that space and you show up, the more the light will take you. I, I heard that in 1920 and I was like, what's he talking about? And now where I am now, that's proven exactly correct that the more I just become authentically me, that's motivation to become the highest, best version of me. And by just showing up, that 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 light, that life will act through me that and light. lead me to places. Yes, yes. Um, way, and, and use you. Yep. And it will use you in ways that you could not have even imagined or fulfilled in yourself. Look, Jesus, who, to me, Jesus was someone who realized his true nature. And Jesus said, the things that I have done, you can do these and more. A miracle worker. But he was a, he was a spiritual code of Jesus the Christ. He performed miracles, but he never said, yo, yo, look at, uh, I'm the shit. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one, look, look how great I am. And, you know, go on his social media back then and go, hey, look at me doing these miracles. Boom, just turn water into it. He said, here's the code. It's not I, I, that does the work. It's the Father that does the work through me, consciousness, the divine intelligence, the light that does the work through me. And so he realized the more he was able to get himself out of the way, the more life was able to use him and do the work where he was not the doer. 
And to me, that's where the magic happens and the miracles happen, you know? For sure. I want to switch a little, topics a little bit to, to the topic of surrender. You wrote a book about it. The question I have is that what moment in life or event was the hardest for you to surrender to, but ended up teaching you the most? Because in my experience, that was, that was my experience. That the hardest thing in life for me to surrender to taught me the most yeah. about it. So what was that event for you? Oh, man, I, I don't know if there was one. I, I, I'll say this. Let me give you a few kind of maybe little experiences, right? There's been many moments throughout my life, but let me speak about some more recent. Um, in 2016, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. It was, it was really hard because I loved, I mean, she was everything to me. You know, she raised me pretty much single-handedly. And I began flying back and forth from L.A. to London, where my mother lived, every month for a week. One week out of every month for a year to be with her. And that was brutal. I mean, it was hard, you know, to realize the person you love the most is going to die and to watch her die. And that was a hard moment to see how I didn't have any control of her journey her process it was her process and it was going to go down how it went down and what started out though as the hardest the worst year of my life actually became the best year of my life because I got to be with her and hold her hand and spend special moments with her doing nothing and it taught me so much and I'll never forget when the doctors finally said, another hard moment, the doctors finally said, there's nothing else that we can do. You're going to die. So basically get your affairs in order. You know? And I looked my mother in the eyes and I asked her two questions that changed my life. Her response changed my life. And she said, I asked her, are you afraid? And I'm devastated, man. You know? I asked her, are you afraid? And she said, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. This body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. And this body will dissolve. But what I am is eternal. And I'll be guiding you for the other side. And so what I am is a soul that is eternal. She knew who she was, you know, as an eternal being. And then I asked my mother, is there anything I can do for you? What can I do for you to make your last days easier? What, what can I buy you? Where can I? And all my mother said was, and it taught me so much, she said to me, there's nothing I want and there's nothing I need. The only thing I want and the only thing I need is what God wants for my life. And to me, that was a profound demonstration of surrender. She was living surrender. Like she wasn't attached to, to, to dying. She was not attached to living. She was surrendered to the highest unfolding of her soul's journey. And I saw that in that moment, she was completely free, totally free. And it was profound to see, you know, and that's when I saw, wow, there is a power in surrender, like true surrender, which we can get into, real surrender um, in a profound way. When I was, I mean, just a bit of story, but maybe one of the first moments of, that were difficult in surrender was, you know, I grew up, my father's a minister. And he had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London. I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear. He was a miracle worker. So I would see him look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, hey, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. You're not sick. You know, stand up. And they would stand. 
And this was every day. I saw it in front of me, not on YouTube or social media. <laughs> people say, oh, was it a scam? I'm like, I saw it every day. You know, it's only so much you can scam people, but I saw it pretty much daily. And he was an interesting character, my father. You know, uh, uh, I call him an African Siddha uh, in terms of a Siddha, Indian Siddha. He had, he had a certain force. And uh, when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. When I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. And I knew that this was not my path. The church religion was not my path. But I was too afraid to, to speak my truth. You know, I think like many of us, the fear of if I speak my truth, then I'm going to lose my father. If I speak my truth, I'm going to lose people's love. If I speak my truth, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be outcast. And so I said nothing. And for four years, I was ordained. I was supposed to take over my father's churches. And when I turned 18, and so I went through four years of tremendous turmoil and questioning and pain and suffering and, and, and trying to make myself be something that I wasn't. And when I turned 18, I felt a calling in my soul to come to America, to come to the US, because I wanted to go into this field of personal growth and write books and do seminars. And, you know, I was sneaking to my father's um, office and, and, and read Louis Hay and Wayne Dyer, and Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williams, all these books as a, as a 10 year old kid. And I knew that I had to leave. And I knew that I had to come to the US and I knew that I had to renounce the life I had. And when I looked into my future, I saw that I could take over my father's church and I could take over his organization and be successful. But if I didn't have myself, I didn't have my soul. If I didn't have my truth, well, what do I have? I have nothing. What kind of success is that? You know, and it was a very, you know, for me at that time, it was a very painful time as a kid to be questioning and feel you're going to lose your life. And so it was really hard then for me to just say, I'm going to leave everything and I have no money and no support. And, and what, what the hell do I do with my life? And that's when I realized I had to surrender, you know, and have a conversation with my father and let everything go. And it was freaking terrifying for me at the time as an eight, 17, 18 year old kid. It was terrifying, but I did. And I remember feeling so depressed and so full of grief because I felt like I let my father down. I let hundreds of thousands of people down. And now I felt like I was by myself in the middle of an abyss, not knowing what the hell to do. But I believe through so many experiences that I've lived that when you follow your soul, when you follow your soul without compromise, you will always be guided. You will always end up on the right path. You will always be guided by an intelligence that is the light of life itself, that is the light of the universe, that is divine grace, will guide you. And I've seen it over and over again. I could give you example after example that people would not even believe, but I've seen it through my lived experience. And so long story short, I ended up winning, winning a green card in the green card lottery that enabled me to come to the US with $800 and two suitcases. And I felt so dark and yet on the flip side of that surrender and letting go, um, which was very difficult, you know, to, to go against an entire community and my dad and so much and just leave life behind. And, and that's what brought me to the US. So those are a few experiences. I mean, I could share more, but 
the the first one really resonated with me because my mom died last year of lung cancer, and what what wow. resonates what resonates with me is that it, it was my exact same experience. She 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 knew she her time was up, and she was surrendering to it so beautifully. But what's what I'm curious about you is that it was yeah. incredibly hard for me to surrender to her surrender. If that makes sense, like the fact yes. that she was surrendering to yes. death and I could see her moving in that direction was so brutal for me, and that taught me so much. But I'm curious about your experience, like how was it? Surrendering to her you know, surrender of death. At, 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 at first, when I first heard she has stomach cancer, I'm like, I'm going to freaking heal her. Same here. You know, yeah. alternative therapies, yeah. right? Green powders, and and I went to London and I was trying to force feed her all this stuff. You know, she's a bit more old school, and she, I'm not saying she wasn't. She just wasn't doing it in the way I thought she should be doing it and taking it seriously. And now she's having a piece of chocolate. I'm like, you can't eat sugar. You know? and, and so now I'm getting so pissed off at my mom. Mm. And after a month of realizing, I'm missing the point because in an effort to save her life, I'm getting so frustrated with her not quite cooperating how I think she should cooperate that I'm missing. The connection. I, I, I'm missing the point of the connection. And, 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 and so I had to surrender to the fact that her soul had her own journey. Yeah. And her soul has her own journey. And I believe that if life is a school, life is a university. When we learn the lessons that we need to learn in this life, we're complete. You know, and we have to go somehow and we're complete. And so in certain ways, I had to surrender to my mother has her own journey. And I had to grieve that. I'm going to be honest. I had to grieve that and, and accept while keeping some hope, but accept that she very likely may die. I had to accept her death. And in the first six months, I had to grieve her death. But when I stopped resisting her process, it freed me up to just be with her. Like I wasn't being with her. I was trying to force her to be something I thought she should be. It freed me up to just be with my mom and love my mom. And, and rather than spending all my time frustrated at her for not drinking the green powders on time, it was just me and her hanging out, being together and talking and loving and celebrating and just being. And, and every moment, you know, became sacred. And every moment became precious. Every freaking moment became like the only regret I have in my life in that moment was not spending more time with my mom because I thought I had time and I thought there were many more moments and so many plans. And, and so it taught me a lot of realizing what's really important in this life. You know, I was so busy saving the world that I didn't make time for my mom. I loved her, but I didn't make time for Christmases and birthdays and moments you know and 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 there i was where we would be having a cup of tea together just talking about nothing and i'm like this is everything like there are no mundane moments in life you know and and so it was hard uh but it was beautiful and i got to the point man where i remember we were seven months into chemo and you know, we spent in chemo, I'd spend eight hours sitting with her in the hospital. I never spent eight hours with, with my mom since I was eight, you know, since I was 10. And I'm like, wow, I spent so much time with my mom. It's beautiful. Why did I wait till she was dying? Mm. Like, why? And I had to forgive myself, you know? And I'm like, wow, why did I wait? 
And, and I looked at my mom and I said to her, in a strange way, mom, I, 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 I have to thank cancer. Like, I felt so grateful. Obviously, I wish she wasn't dying. But I, I was like, I thank cancer for bringing me to this moment with you of realizing what's important. You know, and I got to the place where I was thanking cancer. And, and so it's hard. But also, even when she died, there was a grieving process. In a strange way, and I don't know how you are with it, but I had to allow myself a process of grieving. I, in a strange way, I felt closer to my mother when she was dead than when she was alive. Because in a strange way now, my relationship with her was not, no longer limited to this physical experience. She, she was not located in a body. She was everywhere and within me. And it, 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 I could always be in touch with her now in a strange way. And so I remember for months afterwards, just allowing myself to grieve. And in the grieving, there were tears. And in the grieving, it was as though my heart would break. Oh. But in the breaking, I would let my heart break. But what would happen was, I thought my heart was going to break, but then it would break and it would break open. And in the tears and the grieving, it was like my heart would break open and there was more love. Mm -hmm. And a layer of grief would release. And I'd go about my day. And then, because grief happens in stages, you know, it doesn't happen all at once. So there was one wave of grief, boom, ah, oh, okay. Another wave of grief, but and each wave of grief, each wave of heartbreak would break my heart open to more love and more love and more love and more love for my mother and humanity and my ability to love. And so for anyone that's lost anyone, I would say that the only way through is through and the only way through is to allow yourself to grieve. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves, and this is part of surrender, you know, like there, there is no true surrender without grieving. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between accepting or accept that this has happened and surrendering. You can still, you can be in acceptance, but still be a bit pissed off. Like I'm mad that this has happened and I'm not, I'm going to hold back. But true surrender is the open hearted participation in the experience. Okay. I'm going to use this experience for my highest good. And so I think we can only truly surrender when we allow ourselves to grieve what was to grieve what wasn't so that we can feel it and release it and let it go. And many of us, we don't allow ourselves to grieve because we think it will last forever. We don't allow ourselves to grieve because we think it'll be overwhelming. We don't allow ourselves to grieve sometimes because there's this feeling of, Oh, if I really let myself grieve that my mom is dead, or then I might have to really acknowledge that she's gone. But if I deny it and I don't allow myself to grieve fully, then I can kind of like hold on to her, you know? And, and so true surrender only happens when you let yourself grieve fully. Grieving to who you were, grieving to the life you thought you were going to live, grieving to the relation, grieving. So I would invite people to sit with what have you not allowed yourself to grieve? Because many of us, unconsciously we're carrying around in our hearts layers of unprocessed and unfelt grief inside of us that stops us and limits our capacity to surrender and open to the new. And so grieving allows us to feel, to release, to honor what was, 
so that we can open to the new. And so it was hard, but it was beautiful, you know, and I feel my mother in my heart every day. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I had this similar experience of, you know, when I got to the hospital, of put my hands in her body, feeling where the trauma was stuck and trying to move energy and nothing I could do that I normally could do to other people was working. Her, her spirit was telling me, you can't do anything here. You have to accept this this reality. And when I did that, my once I accepted that, my heart broke open. I, I would walk outside and I'd see the vibration of love and everything and everywhere and everything started making sense. So I, I resonate with your, with your experience. I'd love for you to go into how you connect with her now. I think a part, a piece of what what's hard about grieving is that you uh, you think that or your ego thinks that there's no way of connecting to the dead one, to the lost lost life, the spirit. That we think that it's it's over, and part of it is is the physical part of it's over. But I'd love for you to go into how you connect with her now, uh, how there's still a relationship in your in your in your experience. Wow, I, I, as I said, I feel closer to her now. You know, in a strange way. Obviously, I wish I could call her up on the phone and, you know, take her on vacations and do stuff, right? But in a strange way, see, we've been conditioned to think we are just this body, this three-dimensional limited sack, ego structure. But to me, this body is just a costume. And so consciousness is, has no boundary. And, And so when she... What she, when, when she was no longer encased in this body, somehow I felt her everywhere. Hmm. I felt her presence everywhere. It was, it's like if you have a bottle, if you have a bottle, and now we've been so conditioned to think, ah, she's the bottle. So we relate to the bottle, right? And we attach to the bottle. But you crack the bottle open and there's space outside this. But we've always been this space the spaciousness inside and outside the bottle. But we get conditioned to identify it as the bottle. The bottle is not what we are. It's just a vehicle and encasement for consciousness in this lifetime. And so I just started feeling her everywhere. And, and there were moments I would speak to her, just talk to her. There were moments I would just communicate to her. There were moments I would pray to her. There's moments I would ask for her support. You know, it was interesting. Before she passed away, I bought, I bought 40 acres in, 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 in Joshua Tree, like randomly, but I was guided. And I took her there the year before. She stood on the land and she said, this is, this is, this is sacred land. And she, I remember putting her, she put her arms up. And while she was alive, I was trying to get a, a construction loan. And it was so difficult back then to get this construction loan. Companies weren't giving construction loans. And... Three weeks after she died, I got approved for construction loan. I knew that was my mom. <laughs> you know, I could feel her support energetically from the other side. And so I pray to her or I speak to her, I honor her. Sometimes I do things in her name. Sometimes I might make a donation to something that she likes or, you know, do some service in her honor spiritually for her soul, you know. Uh, sometimes it's just maybe buying a gift for her and just putting it by her picture as a symbol energetically. Sometimes it's just praying for her, blessing her spirit and her journey. Sometimes it's just feeling her. Sometimes it's just going to a place that she loved. Sometimes, you know, recently I was back in Japan where my mother's from and 
I took the time to go and visit her sisters really on her behalf, you know, because I knew she would be happy to, to and, and to go back and, and thank them for their care of her, thanking them on her behalf. And that's a way of me connecting with her, you know. Mm-hmm. Have you figured, have you unpacked all that metaphysically? Like, how do you, how do you make sense of you connecting to her to the other side? Because I'm, I'm the same way, right? I, I feel her presence. I see things come my way that are from her. I see all these things, but my mind can't really <laughs> comprehend how that's possible. Have you ever like, thought I th- about I th- Yeah, I think you, I don't know. I think you have to let go of the mind because it's beyond yeah. the mind. Yeah. You know, it's beyond, like, like, I remember in September 2017 when she passed away, I was doing an event in Central America. Something said, go to see your mother. My mother was in Ghana. This was September. I was planning to go in December to see her. So I went. That's the time I told her, like, I give you permission to leave. I left Ghana on a Sunday. I arrived to LA on a Monday. That day, I went to a smoothie shop in Silver Lake. And I heard this song. You know, I think it was Sting. Like, every breath you take, I'll be watching you. That song, right? Every breath you take, I'll be watching you. And, and I hear this playing, and I knew, I knew, man. I knew this was a message from my mother's soul. Somehow, energetically, it was a message. That night at 3 a.m., I got a phone call that my mother had passed away. And, and somehow I just felt, because, you know, how do you make sense of it? I don't know if it's like a scientific thing, because some mm-hmm. things are beyond the mind. You know, yeah. How do you make sense of an orgasm? How do you make sense of falling in love with somebody? How do you make sense of, of, of like, lovemaking? How, how do you make sense of that? Like, like let's take the, the Stanford professor. Tell me how it makes sense of lovemaking. Well, it's chemicals that, you know, make sense of a connection, you know? And so yeah. everything is energy. Everything is connected. Everything is a sea of consciousness, you know? And so um, everything is interacting with it. You know, so I just, to be honest, I, I don't try to make sense of it, but I just let myself experience it more than anything. And yeah. uh, there's moments when, like, I remember I was doing an event in Japan a few weeks ago and eight days. And at the end of the event, I was out on the next day and I heard every breath you take. And I knew, I just kind of felt like my mother's happy. You know, it was just a, yeah, she's happy. I just stop trying to make sense of it. And I think that's that's the thing, you know. Many times we feel uh, a, we feel the guidance of our soul. We feel our soul nudging. We feel something, but the mind kicks in and questions this 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 intuitive guidance. Like we think mm, it's the ego. The mind wants to. The ego wants to understand everything. What is it? Does it make sense? How does it happen? How does it work? How? How? Because the ego's job is to protect you. And the ego mistakenly thinks, if I can understand everything, then I can be in control. And if I'm in control, then I'll be safe. If I'm in control, then I am existing. And, and so what I have had to learn to do in many regards over the years, more and more, is to let go of the need to make sense of things and allow things to be and allow the deeper intelligence to just guide me, you know? And so I feel something, boom, turn left, turn left. You might say, well, why? I don't know. Just 
That's where the energy was going. Turn right, turn left, turn left, boom. And just the less I think we question the mind, the less we question from the mind this intuitive soul energy, the more we will be guided. And yeah. things may not make sense in the moment. And you may not know where you're going in the moment, but you end up where you need to be and things make sense looking back, you know? Yeah, I resonate so much. I've said this on, the, on my podcast before, but in my experience, a lot of neuroses and mental illness are a result of uh, gaslighting or rejection of our own spirituality. Like like yeah. seeing that guide and seeing that, that call and being like, you're wrong, you're crazy, don't follow that. And you do that 30 times in a row, you're going to go a little crazy. So I really appreciate what you're saying. And thank you so much for opening up and, and sharing your your experience and the grief and it really helps me uh be able to be vulnerable in my, my grief so so thank you and i'd love for you to to speak to and and shout out anything you you've got going on uh i mean events sure. or where people can find you yeah people can find me on instagram coot blackson say hi k-u-t-e blackson uh check out my book the magic of surrender it's a simple book and so many gems there go to amazon get the paperback i would say if you've been inspired by today's conversation in some way Maybe you're in a place where you feel like you're ready for a breakthrough. You're ready for your next level. You feel you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself. And uh, you're ready to heal and transform. The last, over the last, I would say, 12 years, I've done a very special event. It's called Boundless Bliss, the Bali Breakthrough Experience. And so this December, I'm doing my final event in Bali, uh, my final Boundless Bliss event. It's a 12-day experiential seminar training without walls. Uh, it's an immersion transformational process. So if you're ready to heal, ready to connect with your authentic nature and share your gifts with the world, it's a profound process that will catapult you forward. December the 5th through the 16th, that's the 5th, 5 through 16, are the dates for the event. 12 days with me, deep diving, www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. Check it out there. Watch the video. There's a link to apply. And then we roll from there. Great. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.